Well, uh, this morning, uh, my wife and I, or actually this, earlier this week, my wife and I uh, spent a little bit of time uh, talking about our summer plans, or at least the rest of our summer plans. Uh, and I think I could speak for the both of us, and probably certainly for all of us, uh, that our summer has not looked at all what we have come to expect our summers to look like. That's probably the understatement of the century, but, you know, that's what it was. And for Brandy and I, as we were talking about our summer plans or the rest of our summer, it made us think about previous summers, of, of what summers used to look like back in the old days. Uh, and it made me think about our, my very first mission trip uh, that I took uh, overseas. When I was 17 years old, I had just graduated from high school, and I had joined the summer mission team to China uh, with our youth group. We were going to spend five whole weeks in northeastern China uh, sharing the gospel and teaching English to kids. And uh, as a part of that trip, we flew into Beijing, and we decided that because we were going to spend so much time in the country, we were going to do all of the touristy kinds of things on the front end of the trip, the first three days. Uh, and, and we did that. We did all the kind of typical things you would think of. We went to the Great Wall. We went to the Forbidden City. We ate some really great food, all that good stuff. But the experience that most kind of left its mark on my mind, the thing that was most memorable, was our trip or our experience at the Pearl Market in downtown Beijing. Now, if you've never been to China and you've never heard of the Pearl Market, just picture in your mind the biggest, craziest flea market you've ever seen in your life, the size of a football field, and then multiply it by five because it's five stories tall. It's absolutely huge. Hundreds of tables and vendors, just a countless amount of stuff that you can buy, and nothing has a price tag. Everything in that pearl market is all about negotiating and haggling down the price that you want to pay for certain things. It's a consumer experience that we as Americans just generally aren't familiar with. Like, I highly recommend that you do not try and haggle down the price of your bananas next time you go to the grocery store. It's just, it's not going to go well for you. But in China, that's basically how everyone does business. And for me, as a high school student, I was, you know, walking into the pearl market. Someone had actually prepared me in advance. And my mindset walking into the pearl market was that I was going to war. I was stepping onto a battlefield. Because you see, in that market were all the things that I wanted to buy for myself. They were all the things that I wanted to gain and obtain for myself. And the people who were selling those things, they were my adversaries. They were my enemies. They were the people that were standing in the way of me obtaining the things that I wanted for the price that I was willing to pay. And I was going in to do battle against these people. Uh, and I was willing to do whatever it took to buy whatever I wanted at the lowest price humanly possible. I was willing to do whatever it took. I was willing to be as aggressive and as ugly and as mean and as rude and as offensive as I needed to be to get the things that I wanted. And that's what I did for, uh, for the morning. I was kind of walking around the Pearl Market, uh, you know, finding this and that. Until about mid-morning, I saw from across the room the thing that I wanted to get. Like, if there was one thing in the pearl market that I wanted to buy, it was this thing, and it was a pair of shoes. Now, don't judge me too much. I was 17, remember. But I saw my dream pair of sneakers. They were these red Puma 
shoes, sneakers. And, you know, I thought about describing them to you, and I thought about maybe throwing up a picture of them, but I'll, I'll do you one better. Uh, just this past week, I actually ordered a new pair of these shoes, and I'm literally wearing them right now. I'll show you. It's, it's these shoes, all right? These Puma sneakers. I found them in the market in China. And sure, you know, the, the color red wasn't quite as vibrant. And yeah, the, the stitching wasn't quite right. The material wasn't quite as, as uh, quality. And yeah, the cat was facing the wrong direction and they misspelled the word Puma. But it didn't matter because they were my dream shoes and I had to have them. So I walked up to the vendor, to the table, and I pretended like I didn't want them because, of course, if you, if you act like you really want them, you're just lost, right? They, they know they can take advantage of you. So I pick up, casually pick up the shoes, and I call the girl over who was selling the shoes, who was about my age, about 17 or 18 years old, and I said, how much do you want for these shoes? And she looked at me and she said, for you, for those shoes, $100. And I lost my mind. I just went completely ballistic. I don't know if it was because I was already so wound up, like prepared to fight, but I just went crazy. I started yelling at her. I started screaming. I said, who do you think I am? Do you think I'm a moron? I'm not going to pay $100 for these shoes. I literally took the shoes and I threw them back at her. And I said, this is what's wrong with you people. This is what's wrong with this country. You're all just a people full. Of, this is just a country full of thieves. You're just a bunch of crooks. And I'm out of here. I'm not going to buy these shoes from you. And I walked away. And did I want the shoes? Absolutely, I wanted the shoes. It was all a part of the game. You have to pretend like you don't want them. And then the, the, the salesperson, of course, she's like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Come back, come back, come back. What, what do you want to pay? What's your price? And so I walked back, picked up the shoes again, and I said, you know, because you were so rude to me, I'm going to pay you $4 for these shoes. And I don't know if it was because uh, we had already started fighting, uh, but she lost her mind. She started screaming and yelling at me. She was like, that's what's wrong with all you tourists. You think you own everything. That's what's wrong with America. Da, 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 just going crazy. And for the next 20 minutes, we spent yelling at each other and fighting each other, just shouting each other, and certainly making the biggest scene in the middle of this market. And finally, at the end of 20 minutes of screaming and yelling, I said, you know what? I'll go up on my price. I'll be generous to you. How about $4.50? That's my final price. And again, I don't know if she was just upset uh, at me or she was just tired of fighting, but she's like, fine, fine, four fifty, fine. And she snatched the money out of my hand, threw the shoes at me, and she said, get out of here. And as I was holding my new shoes, I, was, uh, I looked at her and I said, <clears throat> excuse me, don't I get a bag? Aren't you supposed to put these in a bag? And she goes, are you kidding? Get out of here. No bag for you. And so I turned, I walked away with a big smile on my face because I bought my dream shoes for $4.50. And as I was walking away, beaming with pride, I felt a hand on my shoulder. And I turned around to see that it was my pastor, my youth pastor, our team leader, who had apparently been standing there the entire time watching the whole thing. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, what is wrong with you? And I go, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And he goes, 
have you completely forgotten why we're here? Now, why am I telling you this story? Because the truth is, is that our whole world feels like the pearl market right now. Our whole world feels so chaotic. It feels like at every moment we're being pushed into these corners. That at every moment we're stepping onto a battlefield. Right now our whole world feels like this, adversarial, defensive, fend for yourself. And so many of us right now are feeling those feelings of bitterness and anger and fear and frustration. And if I'm honest with you, for me, I've been feeling so much fatigue. Even this week, in my own quiet times in the morning, I have spent so many of these mornings in tears because I am just so tired. And when you think about what is the answer, how are we supposed to navigate this world and these circumstances, these crises that come upon us, if it's not the virus, then it's masks. And if it's not masks, it's a vaccine. And if it's not a vaccine, then it's stay-at-home orders. And if it's not that, then it's racial reconciliation or it's policing or it's unemployment or it's Congress or it's politics or whatever it is, we are exhausted. And the question is, how do we navigate this? And if we ask the world for its wisdom, it says you need to fight. You need to defend yourself. You need to fend for yourself. Take care of number one. Put your needs first. And if anyone disagrees with you or stands in your way, you do whatever it takes to get them out of your way. And can I be honest? Can we all be honest? That is is not working. That wisdom that the world is offering to us, that advice that the world offers to us, just like the advice as I walked into the pearl market, it is not working. And the question is now for us, especially as Christ followers, what are we supposed to do then? How are we supposed to navigate this life and this world, especially in this moment? And more specifically, what does God's word have to tell us about how we are supposed to understand this moment and our role as Christ followers and the church in it? Today, we're going to be looking at the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And it's a familiar text. It's a familiar passage. Even if you didn't grow up going to church, you probably know this passage. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. But no matter how familiar you think this passage is, I want you to know that this text is one that is so necessary right now. And God wants to speak to you through it. And so today we're going to take a look at this passage and we're going to discover God's heart for us and for the world in such a time as this. Luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 37 begins this way. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that is Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this lawyer isn't like an attorney in a courtroom, but someone who is an expert in the law, an expert in the word of God, someone who should know the Bible and know the heart of God. He is asking Jesus fundamentally the same question we're asking here. How do we navigate life? How do we understand the purpose of life? How do we live a life in such a way that we can be made right with God? And Jesus, instead of answering directly, asks him 
another question, who said, which is, what is written in the law? Hey, you know what it says. What do you, what do you read? He says, how do you read it? And the lawyer answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, in response, says, you got it. That's it. Love the Lord your God with all your everything and love your neighbor as yourself. You got it. And then Jesus said, all that's left is to do this. Do this and you will live. And you would think that the conversation would end there because Jesus has answered the lawyer's question, but the lawyer just can't help himself. Because you see, when Jesus responds with the question, it's because he's trying to draw out the lawyer's heart. He wants him to realize the condition of his heart. And this lawyer can't help himself. He can't keep his mouth shut. And he reveals the content of his heart by saying, it says in verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? What counts? What's inside the box? What are the lines? What are the parameters? Who do I have to love and who do I get to ignore? Who is on my team and who is on another team? We see that the lawyer in this word justify, he wants to make himself right in his own eyes. He wants to do the bare minimum. We find that this lawyer, his intention is to find the line rather than seek God's heart. And so, this first part of the story, we find that the lawyer does not understand. The lawyer fails to understand God's heart. Jesus answers this question, again, not with a direct answer, but with a story, which is totally on brand for Jesus. This is what he does all the time. And he tells what's called a parable. The word parable literally means to throw down next to. And so Jesus is going to tell this story and he's going to throw it down next to this principle he's trying to teach, not just the lawyer, but everyone who's listening to him right now. He's going to tell a story and he begins by saying a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Jesus introduces this first character, a man that we know very little about. All we know about this first character is he was going from one place to another and that he came upon a very unfortunate circumstance. He was assaulted, he was beaten, and he was left on the side of the road to die. All we really know about this man we don't know his ethnicity. We don't know his race. We don't know his socioeconomic status. We don't know his political leanings. We don't know how he felt about the Roman occupation. We don't know any of these kinds of things. All we know is that he is in dire need. He is hurt and he is in need. That's all we know. And then Jesus continues by introducing two more characters. Verse 31, he says, Now by chance, remember, not by intention, but by circumstance, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place where he, and saw him, passed by on the other side. Jesus introduces these two other characters, a priest and a Levite, who by circumstance, by chance, by circumstance, happened to be uh, walking past this man who was in dire need. And they were near him. They were in proximity to this man. 
And in case you weren't familiar, a priest in those days was a religious leader, sure, but they were also spiritual and community leaders as well. Priests were people who were to represent God's heart to the people, to the nation. That is what a priest was. Likewise, a Levite was someone who came from a very particular family inside of the people of Israel, uh, within the Jews, uh, that uh, their role was to lead service, to lead worship. They were worship leaders, and so also leaders in the community. And so if you could just wrap your head around or imagine, imagine Jeff Wells and Colin Bates, our priest and our Levite, walking down Kirkendall, and they see an injured man bleeding on the side of the road. And they look at each other, and they can't be bothered to help him. So they just keep walking by. Now, don't email them. This is a hypothetical situation. That didn't actually happen. But you get my point that these are the type of people you would expect to understand God's heart. But they don't. They walk on by. And for the Jewish audience listening at the moment, they probably were feeling quite uncomfortable. But if they weren't, they would certainly get uncomfortable with the next thing Jesus says. Priest Levite walk on by, and then Jesus brings a third person into the story. He says in verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where this man, this injured man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. Now, if you didn't know, the Samaritans were the enemies to the Jews. They were hated. They were derided. They were cultural and religious outcasts to the Jews. And they were the last people you would have expected to be heroes of a story. And we see this unlikely hero, this Samaritan, as he's walking again. Circumstance and proximity finds this wounded man. And it says that he had compassion on him. This word compassion is so important. In the original text, in the Greek, the word compassion is this word, splodked nidzomai. So if you want to impress your friends at the next dinner party you go to in 2025, you can use the word splodked nidzomai. This word that means compassion. It literally actually means this tying up of your stomach, like a a wrenching of your bowels. It means this deep-seated, gut-wrenching, pity and care for another person. Splakhed nidzomai is the word that the gospel writers will use of Jesus when he sees the poor and the lost and the wounded and the demon-possessed. When he sees someone who is in need of healing, he has splakhed nidzomai towards them and he moves towards them. He touches them and he heals them. The, uh, the gospels say that Jesus had splakhed nidzomai, compassion, when he looked out on Jerusalem And he wept for the city that was so lost. And he says, oh, that I would gather you up under my wing like a mother hen. It says that Jesus had splakhed nidzomai, compassion on the city. And when Jesus tells another parable, another story about a wayward son, the prodigal son, when this wayward son, broken and beaten and bankrupt, returns home in utter utter humiliation to his father. It says the father, still seeing his son from a distance, had splakhed nidzomai, had compassion upon his son, and he raced to his son to embrace him into the family again. This is the compassion this Samaritan man has on the wounded person. 
In verse 34, he says, he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Notice that the injured man does nothing to help himself. He doesn't help himself up onto the animal. He doesn't help with the bandaging. All the wounded man brings to the, to the relationship, all the wounded man brings to the table is his need. All he's got is need. And the Samaritan man has compassion upon him and cares for him. Furthermore, it says that the next day, the Samaritan took out two denarii, that is two days wages, a significant amount of money, and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will reimburse you. I will repay you when I come back. Essentially what the Samaritan man is doing is writing a blank check and says, this man is in need of help. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, I will pay. Just make sure he's doing okay. What crazy kind of compassion and love is that? Because remember, the injured man has done nothing to deserve this kind of kindness. All he had was need. This kind of kindness, this kind of compassion, this kind of grace is truly amazing, isn't it? And we see in this story that it is the Samaritan man, this man of noble character who reflects God's heart. The Samaritan represents God's heart. This story actually reminds me of a conversation that I had with my younger brother some years ago. If you don't know, my brother is an ER doctor in the city of Austin. And uh, some years ago, when he was still in med school, he was trying to decide what his specialty was going to be. And truthfully, just about everyone expected him to go into surgery. I thought he was going to go into surgery. All of his surgical residents, like all the surgical residents and attendings, they expected him to go, to surg- go into surgery because he was really good at it. And you can make a lot of money. And there's a lot of prestige. Just that's the, that's the thing we all expected him to do. So you can realize my surprise when, he, when I found out that he was going to go into emergency medicine instead. And I sat down with him and I asked him, Cliff, why are you going into emergency medicine? And he said, just about every specialty, just about every doctor gets to choose who his or her patient is going to be. In, some, in one way or the other, every doctor gets to choose whether or not a person's going to be their patient or not, except for emergency medicine. He said, in emergency medicine, whoever walks through the doors of your hospital, irregardless of their wealth, of their race, of where they live, where they were born, what language they speak, their political leanings, how they feel about the Astros, it doesn't matter. Whoever walks through the doors of their hospital, that is your patient. You must care for them. And he said, if Jesus was a doctor, he would be an emergency doctor. And I love that. It's so true. It is so true. Physicians, you probably know, have to take an oath when they step into practicing their call. The Hippocratic Oath that can be summed up in this one motto in Latin. Primum non no care, which means first do no harm. And if a doctor who is simply doing a job can live by this simple oath, 
first do no harm, how much more should we as Christ followers live by an even higher oath? We who are field medics of the soul, we who are physicians of the soul, in walking with Christ. Jesus concludes this interchange in verse 36 and 37 by saying to the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Flipping the question around, instead of who is my neighbor, Jesus asks, who was the neighbor? Who was neighborly? And the lawyer reluctantly answers, the one who showed him mercy. Can't even say the Samaritan. He says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says to him, you go and do likewise. And the truth is, is that so many of us, we expect to be the heroes of the story. But today I can tell you that I am like this lawyer. I am like the priest or the Levite. And I have so often failed to be neighborly, certainly in that market in China. And Jesus, I love this. His words are not words of condemnation. Instead, they are gentle. They are generous. They are an invitation now to understand God's heart and to be a part of what God is doing in our world. So what does this all mean for us today? Two things to two groups of people. First, if you're not a Christian today, and you wouldn't say that you are, you just happen to come across this stream, or maybe you're overhearing because you're making a sandwich in the kitchen and someone else is listening in the living room, whatever the case may be, I want you to know this truth, that God made you, he loves you, but there is a thing in every human heart, a tendency to walk away from God, to say, I can do this myself. And in the midst of all the brokenness and chaos in our world, to say, I can save myself. I can fix this myself. And I don't need a God to tell me. I can do this myself. And the Bible tells, that, tells us that rebellion and that rejection of God, the Bible calls that sin. And we are all finding ourselves in the desert of the consequences of our sin, just like that man who was wounded, on, dying on the side of the road. But this is the good news, that God in his incredible compassion for us and his incredible love for us was not okay with passing us by, but instead sent his son Jesus, who is God himself, to rescue us, to take on all of our sin and all of our death onto himself. What scripture says that Jesus came and pitched his tent came near to us, made his dwelling among us, literally became our neighbor to rescue us so that all who would receive him to those who believe in his name would become children, sons and daughters of God. This is a picture of the Samaritan man, Jesus, rending the heavens and coming down, becoming our neighbor, taking our death, taking our wounds onto himself, nailing them to a tree, dying on the cross, the death we deserved, and on the third day rising again so that to anyone who would receive him, they would receive life and life eternal. Jesus came to be our neighbor, our good neighbor, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, to wash us and to make us new, to rescue us, to save us, to disarm us, and to embrace us. This is Jesus. And my invitation to you is to throw up your hands and say, Jesus, will you save me? For those of us who are Christians, First, I, I want to I acknowledge, you know, all week I was thinking about like how to drive this point of being a neighbor, which we're going to get to. But first, I want to just say, 
the same word to those who are far from Christ, who need to be drawn near to Christ as their good neighbor, is the same word of encouragement to you, Christian. Jesus is still your good neighbor. You are loved. You are loved. You are wanted. And today I want to encourage you to close your eyes, take a breath, and remind yourself of that reality, that Jesus is still your good neighbor who loves you and has grace for you. And as you remember that reality, as you remember that reality, God will move you to the second application, which is that we must remember that the point of this whole parable is to cause this religious man to reflect on the condition of his own heart. Jesus explains, you want to know what it means to be near God's heart? You want to know what it means to obey the command to love your neighbor? It is not to pick who you are neighborly towards, but to be a loving neighbor to anyone and everyone who has need. The application is so plain and so clear. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Be a neighbor. Remember that the Samaritan man was a neighbor, not because of his race, his creed, his political affiliation, socioeconomic status, or who his friends were on Facebook, but simply because of proximity and circumstance. Proximity and circumstance. And knowing the heart of God is moving towards those who God has put in your life, put you near. And a heart that's full of bitterness, anger, division, and spite is a heart that seeks to justify itself. It's a heart that does not understand the heart of God. It's a heart that rejects God. Instead, remember that Christ, being, remember Christ and be humbled by his grace. Remember that a heart that follows Christ will always pursue those in need. A heart that follows Christ will always be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave us. And remember that love is patient. It's kind. It does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way, but is considerate towards others. Love is not irritable or resentful. It doesn't delight in any kind of evil. And that's something I personally struggle with. When I see a news report of something that goes wrong for someone that I disagree with, there's a little part of me that rejoices in that. That's a, it's, a, it's a German word, schadenfreude, and it is not of God. I have to repent of that. I have to set that aside. I must grieve the evil that's in the world, and I have to rejoice in the good. This is what true love looks like. It's what it looks like to be a neighbor. So be a neighbor. Look around you. Is there someone next to you? That's your neighbor. Close your eyes and picture the faces of your coworkers, even though, especially those who frustrate you. The, these are your neighbors. When you go to the grocery store and there's a young man or young woman checking out your groceries, that is your neighbor. After you turn off this live stream, I want to challenge you to take a step outside. Go outside your front door and just scan your street or scan your apartment complex. These are your neighbors. Do you know them? Do you know their needs? Write down their names. Begin to pray for them. Listen to their stories. Reading a lot of Mr. Rogers, our favorite neighbor, uh, this past week, Mr. Rogers uh, carried with him a quote in his wallet wherever he went. It was his favorite quote. It was his guiding star. It was from uh, a Benedictine nun who served the poor and the broken in the inner city of Erie, Pennsylvania. 
Mary Lou Kanoaki. Uh, it says, there isn't anyone you couldn't love once you've heard their story. And this is the challenge, church, to be a neighbor. After our trip to China, you know, the irony is, is that I never actually got to wear those shoes because they were confiscated at customs. So I lost the shoes. But all year, all I could think about was that interchange and how poorly I represented Christ. Later on, I had the opportunity the next summer to go on that trip again, to be a part of that team again. And I insisted that we go back to the Pearl Market, not to buy anything, but because I wanted another opportunity to find my proximity and circumstance in that market again. I remember walking through the doors, and the very first thing I did was I walked up to the second floor where all the shoes were, and I was looking for that table, that table where I had found the shoes the year before. And there it was, and there was that same girl selling those shoes. She didn't recognize me, but I recognized her. And I walked up to her with a big smile on my face. And she said, what's your price? What do you want? And I said, actually, I would really love to know your name. My name is Phil. I'm from Houston. And I'm here because I'm supposed to talk to you. And she said, what? No name. What's your price? And I said, no, seriously. My name is Phil. What's your name? I want to hear your story. And she goes, is this a trick? And I said, no, it's, it's not a trick, I promise. I, I just, we're neighbors right now. I, I, I want to know your name. And so she told me her name. And I said, it's so good to meet you. And I said, can you share with me your story? What's it like working here? What's it like being here? And she started to share with me that she was 17, that she had been working at the market since she was seven, that every morning at 5 a.m. she would get on a bus and, and ride that bus two hours from her village to set up shop to sell shoes to angry tourists for 12 hours, 12, 14 hours a day. She would pack up, she would get on the bus and ride two hours back to her village often getting home at 10 or 11 p.m. She would go back to sleep, wake up the next day, and do it all over again. I said, do you ever get a break? And she smiled, and she said, no, we don't get breaks. And I told her, that must be hard. That sounds hard. And she said, that's just how life is. And I told her, I said, what if I told you that I'm here to give you something, a gift? What if I had a story to share with you, a story about hope that you're loved and you're wanted by God? She said, that would be amazing. And as I was starting to unpack why we were there and the gospel of Jesus, this, sale, this shoe salesperson, this girl, got so excited, she started calling all of the other people around, all of her friends who also sold shoes on that floor, she started calling them all over. She said, come and listen to this. This is exciting. Come listen. Come listen. Come over here. And before we knew it, we were all crowded together around that table, and we were all talking about a Jesus who loves his neighbor, who came and rescued us through the cross. It was exactly why we were there. And this is the reason why you are here, Christian.
to love your neighbor, and in so doing, loving the Lord. Dear church, are we seeking to be good neighbors? Remember Christ, our good neighbor, and the amazing grace he has given to you. Remember and begin to search for those who you can love the same way. Begin with prayer and start asking God to give you a heart that is full of compassion, understanding, and love. Learn someone's name today. Learn their story. And should the Holy Spirit truly reside in your heart, he will fill your heart with compassion for your neighbor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, God. What a sweet reminder it is today for, for even me that Christ Jesus, you are my first good neighbor. And you love me so well. God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I am so undeserving of that kind of kindness and gentleness and grace. But in your incredible love for me, Jesus, thank you for rescuing me. And Lord, I pray for every person listening that that kind of grace and kindness and love would be one that doesn't just sit but transforms and that we would seek and long to be neighbors to others. I pray, God, that we would learn people's names and hear their stories and how, however far they may be from what we think of the world, that that grace and that love that so rescues us would transform our hearts towards love and compassion for them. God, thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.